0: My name is Trent Claus. I'm a visual effects supervisor for Lola Visual Effects. Uh, We're based in Los Angeles, uh, although we have a couple other offices as well. And um, we do all kinds of visual effects, uh, mostly for feature films and streaming, um, but we also do the occasional uh, TV or special project. And we're most known for human uh, visual effects, so dealing with uh, human aging and de-aging, and then also, um, you know, making people taller or shorter or, or green or blue or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, that's really our specialty. Um, and we've done a tremendous amount of uh, de-aging that you might have seen in the movies. Um, most of the de-aging that you see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been done by us. Um, from Michael Douglas in Ant-Man to Kurt Russell in Guardians 2. Um uh, Samuel L. Jackson all the way through uh, um, Captain Marvel, and uh, then even before that, um, uh, going back to you know ben, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button and um, uh, a number of other projects as well.
1: Uh, so you, you kind of like uh, jumped into the second the second question I had is we, I think like the big thing where de aging kind of started really blow up is I, I guess when there was. Star Wars, but it wasn't really the agent, kind of like one of the characters that just brought the entire character who the, the actor was dead. I think he was in one of your uh, presentations. People started kind of like, well, is, is this is like like is this legal? Like, is this possible? <laughs> or like, but from your experience, uh, what were some of those first cases where kind of studio executives really started thinking about? Well, why don't we you know just take uh, Mike Douglas and make him younger um, and yeah. how does this even like how did they even come up with this idea
0: well i think i, I think the first uh use really was x-men 3 mm-hmm. uh and that was done by lola it was before my time but that was done by our company and uh uh in that scene um uh patrick stewart and ian mckellen were de-aged uh for a flashback scene um and i think that opened up the possibility for de-aging uh, we still had uh, some stuff to learn, you know, about um, the process involved. And, and uh, we, we put a lot of research into um, studying human anatomy and we worked with uh, plastic surgeons to try and figure out what they do to make people younger and, and what are the characteristics to look for that determine how we perceive age and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I think the, the big milestones really were the curious case of Benjamin Button where you have the, the main character, played by Brad Pitt, uh, aging in reverse. So he starts as an old man and becomes a baby by the end of the film. Um, and then uh, what a lot of people don't notice um, that was also a visual effect to an extent was that all of the other characters are aging naturally. So at the start of the movie, they have to be made younger than they actually are. And at the end of the movie, they have to be made older than they actually are. Uh, so there was a lot of aging and de aging involved in that film, and what was great about it is that it was it was the main thrust of the story, right? So uh, we were able to talk about it. And uh, when Lola uh, started, we did a lot of uh, beauty work uh, that was making people prettier, or, or um, you know, reducing eye bags and you know that sort of thing. But that's not sort of uh, that's not the sort of thing that a lot of people want to publicize. So we had to keep a lot of that secret. But suddenly, here's uh, the curious case of Benjamin Button, where it's part of the story, and we could we could actually talk about it, uh, which was which was a huge help. Uh, and I think um, then the moment where it really I really felt like it blew up was uh, Michael Douglas for Ant Man, uh, the first Ant Man. We we de-aged Michael Douglas about thirty years, and uh, he he joked uh, after the fact that he might want to buy the company because he thought it could extend the extend his career. And uh, uh, he was really happy with it. The studio was really happy with it. And um, from then on, I, I think it opened uh, the writers and the director's eyes to the possibility that they could cast a, an actor and portray multiple ages and multiple time periods with the same actor and not have to stretch the audience's um, suspension of disbelief by you know, recasting or, or something like that. Uh, it really opened up new possibilities for them.
1: I have a question about um, the Benjamin Button. So it's uh, it's made by uh, David Fincher. That's right. Who has like a, sort of like a reputation uh, as a director, and he also comes from VFX. Yeah. So he understands how these things work. Um, can you comment a little bit about how that uh, partnership went down? Like, did you like working here? And overall. It seems like a nightmare project to me because there's like <laughs> so much stuff that you need to do because like you need to age all the cast forward and you need to de-age this, this guy backwards per bit. This seems like a tremendous amount of work to do for a feature film. Uh, tell us a little bit about maybe some of the first bits of learnings that you made during that uh, film that kind of like guided the company forward sort
0: of. Sure. Uh, yeah, it, you're you're not wrong. It was a lot of work. It was. Uh, I think we worked on that for a little over a year. Um, took to to do those effects, and um, it was it was not only a big challenge but a learning experience for all of us. But um, uh, working with David Fincher was um, amazing. I, I really like working with Fincher, and uh, in fact, we've worked on several projects of mm-hmm. his. Now um, we did in uh, The Social Network. Uh, there the, were uh, the there boss. were twins, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Winklevoss twins, or the Winklevi, as mm-hmm. they were called, um, and uh, we created the the twin of, of those, um, and then we worked on a few of his other films too. So it's been uh, it's been a fun um, uh, partnership, I guess, uh, being invited, you know, to work mm-hmm. on his mm-hmm. movies from time to time. It's really really cool. Um, with uh, with Benjamin Button, um, it was it was a challenge to. Um, de-age, uh, Brad Pitt in part because he has aged exceptionally well. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of wrinkles or clear signs of aging. And so when you're trying to de-age someone that doesn't have a lot of wrinkles, um, that kind of steals away the easiest tricks in the bag, you know, like, uh, the easiest thing to do is just to delete wrinkles. Um, the harder thing to do is, is what we've been studying for so long is, is to try and affect the underlying structure. You know, the, the muscles of the face, the fat distribution, uh, the, the quality of the the skin, the complexion, um, uh, all of those things contribute to to how old you are and, and all of those things are very subtle and, um, very easy to mess up. Uh, so you have to be really careful uh, that you don't push anything too far and that you stay within the realm of of reality, um, and that was that's that was a real challenge. But
1: uh... I, I also feel like when you talk about the social network, uh, Benjamin Button, basically any of Fincher films because he does a lot of the VFX in them, mm-hmm. but they are all kind of um, unseen. So it's not like it's an, a Marvel film where there's humongous blockbuster effect where like this spaceships, they blow up and everything blows up and you know, rockets and stuff like that. And I think it really fits the kind of work that you do where it's you're, you're trying to kind of like traverse this uh, uncanny valley you've talked about during yeah. uh, today's presentation. Um, give us some hints uh, maybe about maybe like core principles that guide you and your team and your work where um, you work with human face. So human face is something that we see every day. We interact, we, we can, you know, um, we're trained to look at it. We're trained to understand it. We look at the very little details and so on. It's like, it seems like the hundred million details are there to mess it, <laughs> mess it up. Yeah. How do you manage to kind of like guide everyone along this path and try to make sure that these effects are, sort of unseen to, like, un- an untrained eye.
0: We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be
1: more interesting? At The Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres mechanics and make a new game every
0: episode. I've added permadeath.
1: We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation which could be House Flipper and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that owl has to be an action-adventure. Yes. Oh dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work.
0: And you, you have a construction off over the course of the, of the narrative. A construction off? The, yeah. way, the way
1: we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out The Gaming Blender on all your favourite podcast platforms now. Uh,
0: well, you, first of all, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, I think... The sort of effects that Fincher incorporates mm-hmm. into his film are films uh, are my favorite types of effects. I mean, I think the ultimate goal of visual effects is to not be seen, right? It's it's to uh, trick the audience into viewing what into perceiving what they're viewing as reality, uh, and that's really the ultimate goal. So if if you can have an amazing visual effect that no one knows is a visual effect, then you've won. Um, you don't get any credit for it, but, but you've, but you've yeah. won. That's the ultimate goal. Uh, so I think those are the sorts of things that I uh, like doing and, and trying to do those invisible inf- effects. And, uh, in terms of the face, you know, the, and the things that uh, we strive for, um, that you were asking about it, it's, it's that, you know, we're, we're trying to manipulate in things in such a way that people don't know uh, that something was manipulated. Um, a perfect um, success story was that um, after the first Captain America came out, when we made um, the main character um, appear to be a very skinny person in the beginning of the film. And then uh, later he was, you know, he became Captain America and he's, you know, big and strong. uh, We had um, uh, people asked after the film, how we made, how we added all those muscles to him. How we made him big and strong, so they perceived the skinny guy to be the reality, and the big muscly guy to be the effect, and it was it was the opposite, uh, and that was that meant we won, you know, <laughs> that was a victory, because um, uh, we we successfully made them believe that you know something there on screen was was reality uh, when it was uh, a heavily manipulated visual effect.
1: To kind of like to to add to that, I I remember reading uh, that. What you just the story that you just in uh, Roger Ebert review of Captain America huh. when he was still alive, he said, like, he said in his review that it, like they made Chris Evans, like the the actor, uh, virtually kind of like added muscles in him in CGI. <laughs> but then he said, like, in quotes, I was later corrected <laughs> that was the other way around. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's super funny. Yeah, it was super interesting. So Let's talk a little bit about um, kind of like the technology behind it. Like, tell us a little bit about, uh, and I think this is like the first step there. It's like, what kind of data are you gathering in order to kind of start your work? Do you do, you know, full face 3D scans? Do you capture uh, motion data with like the dots and the sensors? Like, tell us a bit
0: about how you get the data first. Sure. So when... When it comes to aging and de-aging, there's a lot of different methods that can be used. Lola is, um, we have used virtually all of them from time to time, and you you have to choose the right tool for the right situation. But um, generally speaking, our preferred way of doing things is to manipulate the original plate footage, uh, so the actual footage of the actor, rather than doing a full CG replacement Mm -hmm. uh, or um, doing some sort of head replacement or something like that. Um, we prefer as much as possible to use the original actor and, um, in doing so we get to preserve, you know, all of the texture of their Mm -hmm. skin, all of their performance. And and that is the most important thing because, um, anything else that you do, any of the other options, you're filtering their performance through, uh, not only technology, but other artists, you know, you're, you're, you're having to reanimate things to try and match their original performance. But if we can maintain that original performance, From start to finish uh, then you're not filtering anything and that's really what we strive to do Um, and so what we aim to do is to give the filmmakers um, the ability to shoot the actors on set portraying their characters without any additional apparatus they're not wearing you know a rig around their shoulders they don't have lights and cameras pointed directly to their face um, they don't, uh, in many cases, they don't even have dots uh, painted on their face. Um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, but uh, as, as, um, uh, as uh, le- the least amount of uh, invasiveness as, as possible um, is what we strive for. And um, then after the fact, in post, uh, what we will always do is get a three D scan of of their head or face um if possible we also try and track down if if it's um an actor that's that's been around for a long time um it's great if we can find a life cast of them from when they were younger that's a great reference um that's pretty rare that we can actually do that though it's only certain actors that would have ever had a life cast made um but if it's there we we try and grab it um if uh they happen to have a 3d scan of themselves from you know a decade or two ago you know that can be very helpful um, as time goes on, that will become more available to us. There weren't that many 3D scans being done 20 years ago, so uh, it's hit or miss, it, whether someone has one or not. Um, and then once we, once we have that stuff, we start looking for reference. Um, uh, we determine, you know, the age that they, they need to be portrayed as and what really is the goal of the filmmakers. Um, see if, um, if they want a true-to-reality age appearance, Um, sometimes they don't uh it often depends on the story um sometimes it might be the case that the actor uh has lived a different life than what the character did and our environment and our actions has an effect on our age so if if you if you grew up uh you know in a very um sheltered safe environment um you might not show as much age Mm -hmm. as someone who's who's uh, lived a, a, a larger life you know um, so that can have an effect as well um, but once we've got the age nailed down and we've got the reference figured out then it, it comes down to um, uh, artistry you know trying to um, find a look that works and find a process that uh, works for all artists uh, on the project
1: so in, in your uh, pipeline um, do you do you use AI at all do you use any machine learning
0: uh, models yeah we obviously never used to, Uh, it didn't exist in, you know, Benjamin Button or even Michael Douglas days, but, um, lately, yeah, we do incorporate, um, AI into our process. Um, it it comes around the, the time of the look development when we're trying to determine, you know, what they're supposed to look like. Um, AI can be really useful if, uh, if there's enough training data for that actor. Um, and that's all of the information that you plug into the AI, uh, to make it, um, have any sort of reasonable output. Um, and so if you don't have good training data, you're not gonna, you're gonna get garbage out on the other end and it's not, not gonna work. Um, but if there is enough training data, it can be a really useful tool to come up with reference material, uh, for what they're, uh, what they looked like. Um, and occasionally it can be a really good tool, um, to help with, um, uh, what they look like at certain angles, uh, that can be problematic, um, because we look, often very different from different angles. Um, sometimes in footage that we get, uh, just the original footage, the actor doesn't look like themselves. Uh, they, it, they just look strange from that angle. And so in notes, uh, sometimes we'll get the note that it, it doesn't look like the actor. And, and we, we know it did, didn't look like them from the start. So that's something, it's a challenge sometimes to make someone look consistent uh, from any angle and uh, from any lighting situation. Um, that can be difficult, and, and in that way, AI can help. Um, it's rare that uh, at this current time that AI can be used as any sort of final, final product. It always has to be further manipulated by artists, um, but um, it can be a useful tool. Then we, we use it whenever we can, whenever it's helpful.
1: So once you've got the, the footage, the references, you worked a little bit with um, AI, get some more references, ideas, Uh, what goes next? Kind of like, tell us a little bit about the process that your artists go through, and uh, maybe talk a little bit about the stuff that you touched during the most recent um, presentation you did. Um, The wrinkles, the effects of gravity, and kind of like those common things uh, uh, among people and how they influence
0: how they age. Yeah, so our strategy at Lola has, has always been to um, have a, a good roster of artists you know, that, that are talented and um, educated in um, the work that we do. Uh, so it, it's great to have senior artists you know, that have been around for, for a long time and, and have done a lot of these projects and, and have learned over time um, about human anatomy and, and the changes that happen to us over time. Um, the effects that um, sun exposure and, and um, gravity and um, uh, our environment uh, have on uh, our appearance as we, as we age. Um, those are all things that we, we try to study and, and try and um, uh, affect in, a, in an intelligent way, not just um, smearing wrinkles and, and and smoothing things out, um, trying to affect things and in such a way that you're reversing the aging process, not just smoothing over it. Um, and, uh, so in, in that regard, the artists are, um, practicing, you know, they're, uh, they're, um, when they're trying to develop the look for a character, you're, um, testing things, you know, if, if I move this up slightly, does that make him younger, make him older? Um, but you have to be careful, any, um, any change you make has an effect not only on their perceived age, but um, uh, it can um, possibly reduce their likeness. Uh, and we're, we're trying to you know, protect that at all costs. Uh, so uh, when making large changes to their face, it's very easy to lose uh, someone's likeness. And um, that's, of course, uh, the opposite of, of what we want to do. Uh, we want to make sure that it's it's that actor. You know, that's that's the whole point of everything is the that director and those filmmakers uh, want to use that actor because they're recognizable and their mm-hmm. um, their performance is is the character. Uh, so we want to preserve those things for them as, at all costs. So to kind of like
1: maybe look a little bit into the future and uh, you know may, make build a little bit of an outlook into like the let's say five years and so on. How do you think the technology behind uh, visual effects and film will change? Like, do we suddenly going to start having all these deep fakes uh, like we have with Tom Cruise, for example, on Instagram or something like that? Um, Will we have a resurgence of, of sort of craftsmanship like you have with Lola where you have these very talented people who almost kind of paint the movie uh, mm-hmm. in, in a, in a new way with this new technology. How do you see this developing? Cause you are at the, basically at the forefront of this, having access to all the new tech that is out there. What do you see kind of like influencing the most? Is it like the capturing tools? Is it maybe the machine learning and AI?
0: Maybe there is just, you know, something else. I don't know. I think, uh, I, I think, it's impossible to say (laughs) for one. Um, I I gave a talk yesterday on on the history of matte painting and there's a kind of a famous anecdote where um, two matte painters, uh, very highly regarded, skilled matte painters had been in the industry for years and years, were um, seniors and they were discussing for their teams. uh, They worked for two different companies. They were discussing the advent of digital matte painting and how long uh, it would take before it would completely envelop the industry. How long would traditional matte painting stick around? How quickly did they need to train their teams on digital? And, uh, you know, what steps they needed to take. They had determined between themselves that it would take roughly 10 to 20 years before uh, digital completely overtook um, traditional matte painting. And so they're going to have to start learning the technology now and then, you know, train as they go. And from that meeting forward, it took a total of six months mm-hmm. uh, before the entire industry was digital, uh, which just goes to show that you're like, you're we have no idea <laughs> what the future holds. And I feel like the transition for all of VFX from traditional to digital uh, was such a, a game-changing event that it was impossible to predict past that threshold uh, what was going to happen. And I feel like we're at another one of those thresholds now with machine learning. Um, I think it's going to change everything in in very unpredictable ways, um, and it's impossible to see what's on the other side, um, in into the black hole. I, I don't know, um, but uh, uh, our only um, option really is to just um, uh, keep up with the new technologies and and try and um, train our artists to to use them as tools and uh, um, continue putting out great art.
1: I have kind of like a started the music playing. I have like kind of like a wrapping question. Um, We once did a a kind of like a deep strategic uh, exercise uh, at work and we were trying to figure out uh, what effects do these new technologies have on medium in general, right? And we work with video games predominantly and our idea was that Uh, having these tools like, you know, Unreal Engine 5 or a a bunch of others and having them more accessible will kind of make more people basically start developing games and the amount of games in general is going to increase. Do you feel like with AI and kind of like the things that it can do currently, do you feel this is going to influence and us will start having more films being made, like more feature animation films and so on, because it seems like as it progresses, you'll definitely have more of that content available.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right. Like, I think, um, I think that new tools like AI, Mm -hmm. um, can have a democratizing effect. You know, it can, it can, um, open up new options, um, for artists of all different kinds, you know, whether they're in the the industry or not, or if they do it uh, as a hobby at home, Um, I think you've seen something similar with the music industry where um, YouTube and um, uh, other social media uh, have opened up not only um, opportunities, but um, uh, just interest in a lot of people to make their own music. Now, on the other end, uh, it's completely changed the professional uh, music industry as well, um, sometimes for the negative. Um, So uh, it's hard to say. Um, I do think that um, as um, AI tools um, become more plentiful and uh, accessible, um, that you will see a lot of amateur filmmakers uh, t- testing the waters, you know, and making making art um, and putting it out on the web, uh, you know, making little uh, videos at home and putting them on YouTube and developing followers and, and stuff like that. And I, I think that's great. Um, I, I think that there will always be uh, differentiation between uh, amateur filmmaking and, and professional filmmaking, uh, just like with any art. Um, and uh, But as a rule, I think that uh, more art is, is better. Uh, so I, I hope that um, tools become more available to everybody and, and we just get to see more art.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll put the links in the description to the company website so people can check it out.
0: Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level
1: website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.